Welcome to another edition of the Carboline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service, and that is Mr. Paul Atzimus. Paul, how's it going today? Boy, that's a throwback. Yeah, I know. Well, kind of. It's just, you know, making fun of your name again. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's We're, we're throwing back the episode and the inside joke. Yeah, I got nothing. But it probably puts it in line with when this episode originally aired. It sure does. We have for you today the mighty Mississippian. Say that again. I'm a professional. Just say. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we got Billum, good old Billum Sewell on to talk about what it takes to make a tank lining recommendation. So this was the first episode in our linings series, and we're going to re-explore that today. So again, if you have any questions for us. You can reach us on email at technicalservice at carboline.com. Jack's on the Twitter at Jack underscore CTSP. I'm at Paul underscore CTSP. And here's our conversation with Billum. Today, we're going to bring in William Sewell. He's another one of our tech service engineers. Hey, Bill, how's it going? I can't believe you guys had me back. Doing fine. How are you? All right. Bill has an extremely big chemistry background. He was our analytical chemist before he joined us in tech service, if you remember that. So since we are talking about lining service today, we are going to get into a little bit of chemistry. So we thought we'd bring Bill in. Today, the first thing we're going to talk about is all the information we need prior to making a lining recommendation. Bill, you want to go over some of those uh, recommendation necessities? Whenever we make a recommendation for a lining, perhaps the most important thing and the first thing we need to know is what is the commodity? What's actually going in the tank? And that sounds really simple, but you'd, you'd be surprised. So a lot of the times Absolutely. we find out what's going into the tank is by the SDS. And that is the easiest way for us to be able to figure out what it is. Every single company in the world, but definitely in the United States, it's mandated by law that SDSs be on site for every single chemical that's at that facility. So all you got to do is ask the right person. The SDS is there. It exists and they can give it to you. It's usually a great resource. If you, if you know nothing else about the tank, you can at least reach for that SDS and send it to us. And we can divine a lot of information from that. The next thing I would say is uh, the concentration of the commodity. How much is there? Is this 1%, 5%, 98% sulfuric acid? Yeah, because with that sulfuric acid, the corrosiveness significantly changes depending on that percentage. It very much matters. Uh, 1% sulfuric acid is a very different beast than 98%, for example. Along with that, the SDS will show it, but so will local knowledge to be able to tell us what else is in there with it. Is this something that has a lot of solids? Does it have a particulate in there? Is everything totally dissolved? Or is this carrying some additional components? Is this a, a rinse water that's come back down or a rinse aid? And now it's got contamination. And that's really important because if there's any kind of solids matter in your lining, we have to give you something that for the coating that is going to have resistance to that solid. And, you know, most usually it's going to be moving around creating abrasion. So we need to get an abrasion resistant coating in there. So and on that note, what we look at is why are they painting this tank? Is this a brand new tank that somebody's doing or was this an existing tank? And therefore, we may be able to tell, even if somebody didn't know how much solids was in that liquid, if it was a tank that had a lot of abrasion evidence, we can tell that, hey, there is something in there, even if it wasn't stated. And we can work that direction of it to say, let's keep that into account when we make the next recommendation. Kind of going on that a little further, uh, 
Paul referred to what's going on in the tank. I think we could tie this pretty easily to temperature. Uh, if this is a reaction vessel, maybe we have some hot spots where we're reaching really high temperatures like 200, 220 degrees or so. Maybe this is a storage tank that's going to stay cold all the time. We know from chemistry that corrosion rates are very much tied up with temperature. It's a very important thing to know whenever we're considering what we're going to recommend. The higher the temperature, the higher the corrosivity is going to be. Another thing that we need to keep in mind is with new or used vessels, some of the things we have to look at a new vessel is going to be a nice, smooth, uniform shape and design, and it's going to be a predictable substrate. A used tank could have severe pitting. It could have existing coatings that we need to take in, in, into consideration and even contamination from the previous lining commodity. It could end up having corrosion cells, which need to actually be repaired. Sometimes it can be repaired with a pit filler. Sometimes it needs to go back in and have welding done on it or patches. And all of those things are going to play into account as to what type of lining we decide to choose because all of those create new edges, new substrates, new rough spots that we have to deal with. One of the other things that we have to take into consideration that is uh, probably less thought of than most things is the duration that it needs to store said commodity. You know, in tanks, big, huge storage tanks, it's obvious that it's they're looking for long-term storage. But we also do a lot of business in the rail industry that deals with short-term storage of commodities to and from facility. Right. Along with that, you have tank rental companies who they may just need to have something that's resistant for a couple of days or a couple of weeks while a larger facility needs to take that chemical out of their normal storage tank so that they can do some work on it. So you're only looking at days or weeks that you have to be able to store the chemical. To add to that a little further, many times there are multiple solutions for a given commodity in a tank. And sometimes it's important that we don't over-engineer it. Maybe we can be more, more competitive with respect to cost. If this only needs to be a 30-day system and perhaps a rail car versus 50 years in an underground storage tank, there's a very different scenarios and we would treat them differently. So it's not a, a one-size-fits-all? We can't always just have one choice? I wish that was the case. Our jobs would be much easier, but no. <laughs> I, I don't think we would have jobs if there was a one-size-fits-all. <laughs> hey, Jack, you know what? What? Part of Carboline's going on the road again. Again? Yeah, this time they are going to Chicago. We're going to be at WEFTEC 2019, which is in Chicago this year. It's the 92nd annual Water Environment Federation Conference. So we're going to be in booth 4305, and that's September 23rd through 25th. And, uh, you know, Chicago's a great town, except for that uh, baseball team uh, that uh, with a youthful animal. Yeah, but that's okay. As of right now, they're in second place. Second place. All right, but this commercial runs for a whole month, so we'll just have to see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where they go. Anyway, uh, so while you when you stop by at WevTech, make sure that you come and ask about the Carbomastic 615. Carbomastic 615 is a phenalkamine epoxy. It does really good applying to damp surfaces make sure you ask them see you there not to be forgotten the actual design of the tank if the tank is not designed properly it's going to dramatically shorten the life of the coating system if it's full of sharp edges or or improperly installed penetrations mixers mixing blades that are too close to the edges um, areas that create dead spots all of those are going to affect a coating's life because you want it to wear uniformly through the whole tank. You don't want there to be hot spots or high abrasion areas. So NACE has a document that they, uh, the industry uses a lot. SPO 178 is the tank design for coatings. And what that does is that talks about 
how a tank should be designed before it's used to be able to say, minimize those penetrations, minimize those hotspots, minimize the baffles, make, you know, 45 degree angles. You don't want, you know, sharp corners for things to get stuck in. And following off that, you know, the, the number one thing that we talk about with service life of coatings for all coatings, whether it's immersion or it's atmospheric is the surface prep that is done prior to the application of the coating. I always tell people you get what you give. You get what you put in to the system. You know, if you want to cut a corner on your surface prep, you are going to shorten your service life significantly, whether no matter what service you were putting that coating into. Ask you to think of it this way. The adhesion of a lining is very correlated to the surface area, how much of the coating is in contact with the steel. As we go to deeper and deeper profiles, cleaner and cleaner profiles, say SP10 or SP5, we greatly increase the surface area and therefore we can expect better performance as a result. Uh, I think earlier somebody had mentioned something about pitting. Um, If you go to the higher surface preps and those pits are gone, we very much suppress the possibility of corrosion cells under the lining, which is the one of the things that's guaranteed to make your lining have a reduced service life. Getting rid of these corrosion cells, increasing the surface area in contact with the lining, very important to consider when you're looking for a long lifetime. One of the things that we don't want to forget when we're making a lining recommendation is what kind of equipment or environmental limits or options do we have for where they're working? You don't want to send up somebody with a lining recommendation that requires equipment that they don't have or that they're not used to using. We also don't want to set them up with one that has too high of a VOC for the area that they're working, or they may need one that requires smaller equipment to be able to get through a smaller area to get to where they're working. They may need one that can handle heated hose bundles because they have to leave their spray equipment outside the area, the work area, and they have to just bring it in just through hoses. The more of it we know of all of those factors, the better the recommendation can be. And sometimes they don't have that plural equipment or they only have single leg equipment. I do, since we're talking about application, want to kind of touch on why we don't recommend brush and roll application for lining service. With respect to brush and roll and lining service, there's nothing that prevents you from putting the coating down with a brush or a roller. But here's our primary concern. Whenever we do spray application with good technique, we're building what's called a monolithic film. And that's basically a fancy word for saying this is a continuous polymer with no holes, no discontinuities, no gaps. Whenever we brush and roll, we're pushing air into the coating. Also, uh, from applicator to applicator, it can vary hugely as to how much roller pressure, what kind of brush stroke, and it may not be consistent from one side of the lining to the other, which can cause all kinds of problems. We would strongly, strongly encourage, in fact, we require that all linings be spray applied because we really need that monolithic film. If you were to ever holiday test a tank that had been brushed or rolled, we we never have. I I would not want to, but if you would, I think you'd find a lot of holidays and a lot of discontinuities. So those holidays are are breaks in the films and they're kind of important too, because if if you have a holiday in the film, that's going to be the primary failure point that'll happen quickly with your lining. One little thing that we're going to touch on very, very quickly because we're going to wrap it up here for today, but it is an important thing to note and we can have its own episode, but we kind of want to talk about the fact that all linings are permeable to a certain extent and vulnerable to osmosis. And really that osmosis effect is what we're trying to prevent. 
being that everything be is permeable, osmosis is the the migration of water across the semi-permeable membrane. In layman's terms, that's water goes through stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking to control how much how what the rate of that water going through the the coating is. We can control that by thickness, we can control it by the density of the of the polymer. Um, we can control it by how well interlocked it all is. Um, those can be controlled by, by formulation, by speed of cure. And we also want to know in our cleanliness standards, we can get into things like soluble salts. How much salt was allowed to be on the substrate when we put it on? Because we know that salt attracts moisture. And if we're trying to control how fast moisture goes through a coating, you don't want something on the backside of the coating where there is no moisture sucking moisture through the coating. That's going to cause our osmotic blisters to happen in those areas first. So there's there's a lot of information there, and we'll probably have a whole episode on osmotic blistering. And definitely we're going to get into some of the chemistry of the different kinds of coatings that form tighter cross-linking that prevent the permeability from happening. The one thing that when you think of this osmotic blistering and, and permeability is you want to think everything's always trying to really, you know, I kind of go back to physics class in high school and think about everything is always trying to find an equilibrium. I would even point this out. Uh, it's a commonly known fact that hot air will move toward cold air to equalize the temperature across multiple rooms. It's a known thing. Osmosis is very similar. This is water moving through a membrane attempting to equalize the concentration of soluble salts on both sides of the membrane. I think it's illustrative that they pointed out the word osmotic blistering. That is because osmosis is the driving factor behind almost all blistering and linings that we come across. Almost all coating failures, uh, ones that do not stem from poor application, are driven by osmosis in some way or another. It's hugely important. I encourage you to go look it up. I think Jack's going to discuss it further in the podcast, but I I strongly encourage you to go read about osmosis. Great thing to learn about. So I think we've beat this horse for today. Hopefully it's gotten you guys to think about why we ask you all those questions when you call us for a lining recommendation, why they are so important. Because while we might be able to give you a recommendation based on the answers to two or three of those things, the more complete the puzzle is, we are able to give you the best recommendation and the best recommendation will lead to the best service life. Thanks for joining us this week for the first episode of our series on tank linings. Next week, we hope to dive into a little bit more of the chemistry of the coatings and the commodities and why certain coatings work for certain commodities. That's right. We're going to get into a little bit of the chemistry behind coating formulation. And so for the Carbaline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd, we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for, for your support. support. Just in case you're ever wondering what it's like to be in the studio when Paul and I record this, here's a little outtake from the recording of this show. You're listening to another edition of the Carboline 
Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the director of Paula Jamis on this week's Delicious Dish. (laughs) You're listening to NPR. Thank you, and have a good day. (laughs) And I have rendered... My co-host silent yet again. He can't even handle. I got nothing. <laughs> oh, I finally figured out what this might actually be. Is this the golf announcer on the ninth green watching somebody putt? <laughs> real, real quiet. Former greenskeeper, about to become the Masters champion. (laughs) It's all getting cut, right? Yeah.